0: Oh, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Thank you for that audible acknowledgement that you're okay, because, yeah preaching again now that you can't see people's faces. I'll just assume you're having a great time unless you tell me otherwise, unless you tell me to be quiet. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's Andy, Uh, my wife's Camilla, Uh, we're on the leadership team here at Oceanside Church, and just amazing to be uh, preaching the word with you again here this morning. Uh, It's so amazing to have so many people still coming out and joining us. Again, I think the best thing about preaching today is I get to take my mask off and breathe for a little bit while we preach, and that's awesome. And uh, hello to you Everyone who's joining us online as well, uh, we hope to see you soon at some point. But uh, today, uh, today as uh, we preach, we're going to be finishing up the Acts series before we go uh, and explore Christmas and then into January 2022. 20, Is it 2022 this time around? Wow, we're getting old fast, aren't we? Um, it's going to be 2022. We're going to be launching a new preaching series. I'm excited to share with you from Acts here today. Now have you ever come across uh, that right person at just the right time? Maybe it was when you met your partner, and you look back, and it was just this sort of chance encounter. Your eyes met across the room, and it was just like fate put you together. Do we have any couples like that here this morning? Oh, Ted, there's only one couple here this morning. Ted and Marna. Fate put you guys together. That's perfect. Or you know, maybe it was when you you met your best friend, maybe you were sort of at a store looking at the same obscure thing, and you're like, you're into this, I'm into this, let's be friends. Okay, or maybe, you know, you were stuck in the middle of nowhere. Maybe your car broke down and someone came across at just the right time with just the right tool to fix your car and get you back on the road. You know, these, these, uh, these types of, of interactions happen all throughout Christmas movies. You know, we're getting into the Christmas season, and that seems movies love telling us this story of chance encounters that change people forever. And you certainly have a, a time after one of those encounters in a movie where they go, is this fate? Is this meant to be? And they go, yeah, it's meant to be. Maybe you and I watch different movies, but this that's the type of movie that I watch or I'm forced to watch by my lovely wife. <laughs> that's the truth. I haven't seen an action movie in a long time. Um, but you get those. We, we love those kind of movies that just put people together, put these chance encounters together, and things just work out, things just blossom and go from there. And you certainly get those people in life, right? You get those people who are, who are putting things together all the, all the time and saying, I was like, oh, it was just fate, it was just meant to be. You know, I went to the store and there was a perfectly ripe avocado there. And it, you know, my dip was just meant to be, taste, it. taste and see how, how fate has brought this avocado and this salad together. And you get other ones amongst us who are just like, well, you went to the store, you found the food that was supposed to be there, and it, you know, more of a coincidence maybe that that, that thing happened. And you certainly get your people, you get your fate people who love believing that the universe is putting things together for them, and you get your coincidence people who are just like, ah, you know, chance encounters happened. Certainly my wife loves it when I said, you know what, we just happened to bump into each other. We just happened to hit it off, no. I like to believe that God put us together as well. Sound good? Amen. We'll stick to that line of things. You know, why that's come to mind for me over, over recent weeks, just thinking about the preach that I get to share with you guys today here, is that actually all over Acts, as I've been reading through a couple times through just the early church history of what God did through his people and through the church at the time, you get these different kind of interactions happening within Acts. You get these interactions of them preaching the gospel and them sharing the word, where it's just obviously what they do. It tells us in some parts of Acts, so I, I haven't got it on the screen for us this morning, but it tells you, you know, that it was Paul's custom or it was the apostle's custom to go into the temple on the weekend on the Sabbath day and, and preach the gospel. They did it every week. It wasn't fate, it wasn't meant to be, it was just their habit, it was just what they did week in, week out, they shared the gospel, and they loved doing that, and people responded to the gospel in those times as well. But at the times, the other times we see in Acts is where God is putting chance encounters together. Maybe chance encounters is the wrong way to say it because God is actually thrusting two groups of people together to say, Hey, you guys need to talk to each other. You guys need to meet and something's going to happen today. Today, as we delve into what it means to preach the gospel and what it means to get the message out there for the gospel, there was one part in Acts that just kept grabbing my attention and it was one of these times. It wasn't the times where you know Paul was sort of taken prisoner and he was forced, he was put on trial and he had to give an account of why he was there and he preached the gospel then. It wasn't one of the the weekend Sabbath meetings where he preached the gospel, it wasn't one of those. No, it was somebody else where the Holy Spirit where an angel, in fact, interrupted and say, hey, you need to go over here and tell that person the good news. Um, We're going to be this morning in Acts 10. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can just open it to Acts 10. You can stay there. We might mention a couple other verses uh, during this time, but we're going to be in Acts 10. And again, this is the story of God thrusting two groups of people together. I'm going to have a little swig of water, and perhaps let's pray before we uh, read the word. Lord God, we just thank you for your truth that is will be on display here this morning, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that when we get to open your word, we see truth in its purest form because it's truth from you, Lord God. I just pray this morning as we delve into that, as we read your word, as we preach your word, Lord God, would you just sow that seed in our hearts of what you want us to receive from it this morning? There's so many different things that we could say. There's so many directions that we could go, but we wanna hear what you've got for us today. Amen. So about five years or so after Jesus has left the disciples, uh, this is where we find ourselves in Acts 10. And two people, two significant people for us this morning. Uh, Peter, he's one of the apostles. He's one of the main guys, one of the, one of the heavy hitters for the apostles at that time. Um, and another guy called Cornelius. Cornelius wasn't a believer, or he wasn't uh, a Jewish believer at least. Uh, he was a Roman soldier. So let's read from Acts 10, 1 to 8 and see what's happening through the story this morning. It says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God, and with all his household he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he—that's Cornelius—he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. When we see angels, we get terror. (laughs) Um, He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms have been ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, Cornelius called two of his servants to to him, a devout soldier from whom among those attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. I love, again, I love how God is setting up this story, not only because it's one of these preaching stories in the Bible where God is clearly putting two pieces, two chess pieces together to line things up, but I love that he sent the angel not to the, not to the apostle, not to the disciple, not to the believer. He sends, he so badly wants to reach Cornelius and the people Cornelius knows with the gospel, with his gospel, that he sends an angel to the person who's outside the kingdom and says, hey, you've been praying, you've been believing that there is a God out there. Maybe you know the Jewish people who you're surrounded by and maybe you've picked up on what they believe about God and maybe you know there is a God and you've been praying for God to reveal yourself. Well, guess what, Cornelius, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. Isn't that amazing? You know what? I believe there is people in Nanaimo exactly like Cornelius. People who don't know a thing about God. People who don't. We discover this at Christmas, right? Just about like how much do people know about the true meaning of Christmas and why we celebrate it. Increasingly in our culture, in our day, people are more and more disconnected um, to what Christmas really is. But there are people out there who suspects there is a God, who says, you know what, this, this wasn't all just an accident. There is something out there, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to reveal himself to me. And that was indeed Cornelius's, a part of Cornelius's story here today. God sent the messenger to the outsider to go get the insider, and my first point here for us today, as I was just smiling over this scripture time and time again, is that you know Cornelius was a really good dude. Perhaps you know it certainly talks about him in the Bible. Certainly talks about him in a way that he was really respectful. God really liked this man. His his what he had been doing had sort of been approved by God. He was a Roman centurion, which means he was like one of the best soldiers in the world, and he was a commander in the army. He was in charge of about a hundred men. And he was a devout man who feared God, even though he didn't know the gospel, and he gave generously to the poor, and he prayed continually. You know what? We can get tricked into thinking, we know some of those people who aren't inside the church, right? We know some of those people who are upright, stand-up people, who give way more, who do much more to the poor than we ever could in in their means and by their might, and perhaps they're good people. But I feel like the first thing that God is saying to us this morning through this scripture is, yeah, good people still need the gospel. Without Jesus, they're just good people doing good things. But sin has still separated them. They still need a savior. They still need a savior to come and rescue them. Dan Page, we had a, an equip conference here in town. Uh, our local group, local group, our international group of churches, we come together once every, once in a while and we have a, an equip conference. Dan Page said this, he said, there are times we don't share the gospel of salvation because we just don't know how good it is. Well, there are times we don't share the gospel because we just don't know how bad it is to not have it. And he was preaching in this way to say, we got to wake up and to know the gospel needs to go out with urgency. There's plenty of good people in, the, in Nanaimo. There's par- plenty of good people who aren't on the streets, who aren't down and out, who aren't struggling through failed marriages and, and, and other things that, that, that cause us problems. But there is people who need the gospel and I love it because the centurion, you know, what was Peter thinking on the other end of this? A Roman centurion wants me to come to his city. Okay, scary, maybe, I don't know. The, the relationship between the Jewish people and the Roman uh, uh, conquering nation was certainly probably a heated one at that time. And so they send uh, men to Joppa to go and get Peter. Joppa was about 60 kilometers away, so about two days worth of journeying for Peter to go and answer this call. And we have lots of excuses not to go and answer a call for the gospel. We are busy people living in a busy time. We have our, you know, I've got AirPods. I love them. I put them in when I go to the store and I get to ignore everybody in the store because they know they can see I got my headphones in. I think one of the things that God is reaching out to me and asking me about is like, are you available enough to preach the gospel? Are you available enough to respond to someone's request? Certainly Paul had to respond and he traveled two days to get there. And then we think he was a bit there for probably the better part of a week as well, ministering to Cornelius and his household. Just skipping ahead a little bit, you can go read the rest of the story this week about what God was saying to Peter on the other side, but it says in Acts 10 from 29, we pick up the story, it says, so when I, and this is Peter speaking, he says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I ask you, okay, I ask you, Cornelius, why you sent for me? And Cornelius says this, he says, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you, you, you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I love these last two verses that, that, that the centurion is reading out here. Have you ever come across an audience like that? Mm-hmm. Hey, we don't know God, but we really want you to tell us about him. It tells us a few things. It's first of all, they think of Peter as a kind person. You have been kind enough to come. And obviously he had. He had gone the extra mile to come and be with these people. Church, we need to be kind to the world around us. They need to see us as kind so they can receive what we have to share the next piece of the perfect audience, you couldn't wish for a better audience here, was that they said, The presence of God is here. Now, therefore, we are here in the presence of God. We believe that God is here. Certainly, if you had just seen an angel, you'd probably still think the presence of God was around and you were in his presence. They knew that something was happening. And then they said, We want to hear everything, we want to hear all that Jesus has commanded you. And as I was thinking about this, it's like that audience is kind of unattainable. I don't know if they, even I have quite that eager audience before me here this morning. Certainly, I'm probably not that as the same kind of eagerness when I hear somebody else preach. You know, it's a, we do this week in, week out, but they were on the edge of their seats. They knew that God was lining up something to happen. And we could just push that aside. We could just say, you know what, that was a unique time. God sent an angel. Of course, they were expecting to hear something hugely profound. But I couldn't move past this without thinking a little bit more about what God is trying to tell us through this story. You know, why did God include this here? And my second point for us this morning here is that listening to the Holy Spirit gives us a favorable audience. Maybe you've tried to share the gospel with people around you. Maybe you've just gone at it. You know, I'm going to do it. Maybe you came out of that youth conference, or you came out of that, that new book you read, or maybe you're just on fire after a Sunday service, and you just go and you shout, and the audience isn't too receptive to you. Or maybe you do. You know, it's a mixed bag kind of thing. But I want to say that if we're attentive to the Holy Spirit, if we are asking God, hey, God, who do you want me to go to, that we actually might have favorable audiences people like Cornelius who are living within our city who are asking, God, reveal yourself to me. Church, we are to be that revelation for those people around us. You know, maybe you're a salesperson here this morning. I remember I was in sales for like this long. I realized that I was really the wrong person for it. But occasionally when you're working sales, someone just walks in the door and they say, I want everything. I just want everything you sell. I want the best thing. Your jaw just drops to the ground. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I can do that. That's about what I needed to happen when I was in sales. But here, God, there are those people around. There are people waiting for the Holy Spirit for salvation. You know as well, I'm not a big evangelist. We see, you know, evangelist is sort of a type of gifting we see in the Bible. There are people amongst us, people at church here today, who have the gift of evangelism. No one's particularly said that over me, but you've got your Billy Grahams and then you've got the rest of us. And now while I might not be gifted as much as Billy Graham, I have been gifted with the same amount of something else that Billy Graham has. And the thing that I have been gifted with is the ability to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in the same way that Billy Graham was. Or the same way that anybody else was. You know, church, we have the same Holy Spirit that was directing the the disciples around uh, the New Testament. We have the same Holy Spirit that put people in the right place at the right time. The key difference sometimes in our lives is that some people are saying yes to the Holy Spirit and some people aren't hearing the Holy Spirit or saying no. Church, you might not be called to stand up in front of masses, but you have the ability to hear God's call over one person's life, over the person at work, over the person at the cash register, at the person on the street, if we just stop enough to listen. We're so worried about the big battles. We're so worried about the loudest opponents to God's kingdom in our culture that we forget those who are searching, who are quietly waiting for God to reveal himself through you and I. Can we live in obedience to the Holy Spirit, people? Yeah, we can. Another example here, you can turn here as well, is in Acts 16. We see, this time flipping over to the Apostle Paul, and someone he was traveling with, it says, they went through the regions and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Myasia, they, they, they attempted to go into Bethsinia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing Myasia, they went to the town of Taurus, and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man, So a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them how obvious did God need to be with the Apostle Paul? You, you think the Apostle Paul should have had a, a, a less obvious communication. like, oh, I'm just feeling we should go in here. It's kind of funny to see the disciples like going over here and say, oh, no, that didn't work. Going over here, oh, Jesus won't let us go in there. And then God is needing to be so obvious to the Apostle Paul that he gives him the clearest vision possible of where he needs to go next. Again, church, this is open to us. We can ask God for direction as we go. Maybe you feel lost on the, on the next person to share the gospel with or the next uh, door to walk through. We can ask God for these visions. Reading on to verse uh, 11, or oh, sorry, um, verse 13. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, so they arrived at these cities, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. You know, probably a place of prayer over here. Let's go here. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Verse 14 says, And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of, how do you say that? I don't know. Bill? No. <laughs> from the city of Theratia, let's say that. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And it says this, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us saying if you've judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us you know paul and silas are continuing their journey in obedience to the holy spirit's call in obedience to jesus's call the very call of jesus and we see here, they, they go to the city that they're supposed to be in, but they don't know the next step. So they wander down to the side of a river where they suppose there's probably people gathered to pray. And they were right. There was a group of women. And within the group of women, they found Lydia. And it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The third point that we have to realize that when we preach the gospel, that when we try and reach people with the good news of Jesus, is that it's God who opens hearts, not us. It's God who causes that decision to happen within someone. I love, I don't know how many people we got here this morning, but each one of us who knows God would have a different experience of when and where they came to know Jesus, and each one of us would have a different experience. We'd say different things. But the same thing happened in each one of those is it was actually God. It wasn't the person who preached. It wasn't a specific ap- apologetical thing that they said. It was God winning us over. Apologetics is great. We need it. And we can get into this mode that we can argue someone into the kingdom of heaven. But it is God. God. It says in John 6:44 and this is Jesus it says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I think I shared this story some years ago, probably up here or I don't know somewhere else, but um, when I was a younger person, I was about 17 years old, and we took, we took part in a student alpha. I came from the, from the church, and we invited these different university students to come in. If you don't know what alpha is, it's about sort of a 12-week thing where you come in, you eat a meal together, and people can come if they've got questions about God and questions about what you guys do and everything else. Uh, because it was a student ministry, people just came because there was food. Students and food, they just come. They don't particularly care, so you get an interesting crowd when that comes out, and there was one guy there who I used to sit next to each week, and we used to go at it, we used to argue about everything, I was like, I can convince this person to get into the kingdom of heaven if we just figure out the the creation thing, if we figure out the Jesus thing, if we figure out the resurrection, you know, all those different pieces, and all those things are useful, but this guy, you know, further and further, he went, you know, he'd just come every week for the food, we started having, you know, have friendship and things like that, and that was cool. But at the end of um, one of the last weeks of, of this ministry of Alpha, um, you, you do a, sort of some prayer times, and you start asking the Holy Spirit to come. And I was like, okay, there's different people happening. I walked in the room. I was a bit late. And here he was crying with his arms out receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm like, What? He was the person who rejected God the most. He rejected every argument. He rejected all the things. He just wanted the food. But here he is before God. And that was an important lesson for me because I realized I could not argue someone into the kingdom of heaven. But as soon as there was opportunity and a willing heart on his side, there was this thing that happened and God won him into the kingdom. It's only God who opens hearts. Just slightly further on in John 6.63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh, what I was doing, the flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And this, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. God holds the keys to the kingdom. Church, we need to let that pressure lift off of us. It's not up to us, it's up to him. In response to that, we need to pray for those people who were asking God for to come into the kingdom. Without prayer, that's about all that we can do is pray and preach. So let's read on and see where Peter went with this, with this crowd who was paying full attention to him. So Acts 10, 33, and we'll read the 10 verses here. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. This was one of the first times that the Gentiles, that people outside uh, the Jewish nation, were hearing the gospel. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened all throughout Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God, God raised him up on the third day and made him appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. And just ending here in verse 44, it says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. It's interesting. I, I like, One of the things I did was you know, try, and, try and look at every time they sort of preach the gospel in Acts and try and come up, okay, what's the formula of what they did? How did they do it? Because that should be exactly how we're supposed to do it. Uh, in my research and my failing to do that, I've, happily I found someone else who had done the research. <laughs> Greg Gilbert said this in summary about how the early church preached the gospel. It says, since the earliest Christians announced the good news about Jesus, it has been organized around these four questions. Who made us and to who are we accountable? What is our problem? What is God's solution to our problem? And how can I be included in his solution? For little things. These are four things that we talk about all the time. Who, Who has made us and who are we accountable to? We believe that is God. God the Father. God who created the world. What is our problem? Our problem is sin. You know, I think at this time in history, I don't know, again, if it's just where I am in life as a parent, as I look at the world differently to how I grew up with, maybe, maybe this is the same thing that all people go through. But I feel like at this time, it's not very hard to convince people that something is wrong with the world. Would you agree? We're well, sitting here with Marx here this morning. Something is off. Something isn't right. Convincing people that something wrong is wrong is not hard. Even the people on the opposite end of beliefs of us believe there is all sorts of stuff wrong with the world. Even the fact that people believe that they were created wrong, or that the climate is wrong, or that the plague or the political division, that's that fever pitch, it's all wrong. Everybody has different solutions to that, but it's all wrong. People know it's wrong. And I believe, church, that this is an opportunity for us to say, yeah, the world is broken, don't you see? Doesn't it feel like something is wrong here? Doesn't it feel like it shouldn't be this way? And you'll have people there that just said, yeah, well, this is is the way it works. You know, you add all these people together, all these humans together, and this is what happens. But if someone believes in God and someone believes that there is a broken world before them, then we can introduce them to a solution. Again, I think that something has changed in the last number of years from, from when I was maybe 15 years old growing up at school. Again, maybe this is just a growing up thing, but I feel like people are more open in this age to spirituality than they've ever been. In the early 2000s, it was like we, maybe it was a British thing or it was like we figured out everything. We don't need the church. We don't need spirituality. Today, wherever you go in Nanaimo, there's spirituality happening Everywhere. The, maybe the agnostic view or the atheist's view is probably a minority view amongst us. Who made us and who are we accountable? God, what is our problem? We turn from God and we chose sin. In verse 38, he men- Peter mentions that those who were oppressed by the devil. And what is God's solution to the problem? Well, he starts talking about Jesus. Verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. They put him on a, to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear. It says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us the last question of how can I be included in this solution, it's believing in Jesus. Peter ends with this. He says, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Church, we need to publicly live out the answer to these four questions in our lives. If we're not displaying these answers to the world around us, if we're not giving these answers, if we're not, it's different in every context on how to reach people and how to explain it. People are at all sorts of different levels of, of where they are in agreement or disagreement to it. But we need to live in the truth of those four answers. There's a guy, Scottish guy, Leslie Newbegin, who said this in, in research, He says, what we have today is a pagan society whose public life is ruled by beliefs which are false. And because it's not a pre-Christian paganism, but a paganism that's actually born out of the rejection of Christianity, it's far tougher and more resistant to the gospel than the pre-Christian paganism with which those foreign uh, missionaries have been at contact with recently. Here, without possibility of question, is the most challenging missionary frontier of our time. That's a hard thing to hear. It's a challenging environment. We live in a culture that has not just not heard about the gospel, but has ultimately comes from a place of rejecting the gospel and now sees themselves as going past it. So how are we to win people in this season if you're not a big evangelist, if you're just a regular person like you and me? My point number five here is that we need to be friends with people. And we need to know what God has done for us. I would argue that most of us are here today because a genuine friendship, a person introduced you to Jesus. I know some of the testimonies that are out there that that is indeed true. Maybe some of you were saved from a a bigger meeting or something like that. But most of us were saved through a true friend introducing us to the gospel. And as you live in genuine friendship with the unbelievers who are out there, with the people who need to receive God's mercy, they will see how you live in the truth of those four questions. That, hey, that guy goes to church every week. What does he do? I don't know much about the church, but, oh, he, be- he believes there's a God, and he believes uh, in all of this stuff. You know what? As the world sees you go through trials... When that person goes through a trial one day, they're going to see the difference between how the world responds to trial and how the church responds to trial. It says it came up in the prayer meeting this morning, but it says that we have a hope. We have a hope that can't be robbed away from us. Actually, Peter himself, writing in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, so same guy, different, different part of the Bible, but it says, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. Not the reason for the apologetics that is within you, not the reason for the science that you believe or don't believe or any of that stuff, but for the hope that is in you. Are we living hope-filled lives? Are we living lives that are full of this hope, that are on display, that will get under the skin of people, not in a bad way, in a good way, get under the skin of people and say, what does that person have that I don't? And the the last part of this, we need to know what God has done for us. It's easy how you can forget what God has done throughout your life, right? Um, We had Ivor Lewis preach here a few few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. He came up from Victoria and he preached on miracles. And then at uh, Connect Group on Wednesday night, uh, I think Tim was leading, and we were going around the room, and we were sort of, you know, doing the thing of like, okay, what miracles have happened in your life? What miracles have happened in your life? And it was, we, we, I think we threw the Connect group outline out the window, and we just talked about these experiences that we had all had um, with the Holy Spirit and with God coming through in the miraculous ways. It was such an encouraging time, and I, I think I shared like one story that had happened to me, but as I was sitting there, I gotta say, I had to take out a pen and paper because all these things that God had uh, done to me he reminded me of, by the end of the night, I had a, a list of six or seven things that are honestly like you could write them down in the book of Acts in a way, like not that dramatic. I'm not saying it should be included there, but I'm saying like stuff that had happened to me, whereas honestly, if I wrote my testimony down, it, it would sound bizarre and crazy to somebody else out there. Oh, God saved your life, did this, God healed you of this, God provided for you in this way, like these different things that I had just forgotten that had faded into the background noise of my life. I wrote those things down because I know, you know what, the next time someone asks me about my faith and why, well, here are the eight things. Here are the ninth. Here's the list that keeps on growing of what God has done in my life. The part that will connect to the world around us is when your testimony is introduced to that person you have genuine friendship with. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to enchant a chance encounter of go to the city, do that thing. We've had that thing. Paul has that own testimony of, of God giving him, him a vision of someone or giving a group of someone and them going to find that person and that person coming to know the Lord. But sometimes it's just the people immediately in our vicinity. Maybe we can have the band back up here as we finish and, and just go back in um, to a little bit of worship. But as we just go, go back... As we leave today, I love how Katie left it last week. She was just like, you know what? Sit there and think, (laughs) because we know as soon as we move on to the next things, we forget. I love it at Connect Group. We always say, what was preached about this week? It's like, oh, we kind of forget. Jog the memory, and it all comes back. Again, in summary of where God, I believe, what God wants to say out of this scripture to us today is that people need the gospel. Church, we can't live in silence. The second thing, and actually one of the main things, is that listening to the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity for the gospel. Listening to the Holy Spirit gives us that favorable audience. Every time we preach the gospel, it's not going to go completely 100% well. But if we listen to the Holy Spirit and God says, go do this thing, we can be expecting that God actually has somebody there to receive it. Are we listening? you know, we've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to turn down some of the noise in our life so the Holy Spirit, so that we can hear Him better. And we've got to slow down maybe some of the rush in our life. Are we even able to respond when the Holy Spirit prompts us? This whole, book, this whole series that we've been doing, we've been doing it from reflecting on what does the Holy Spirit want to do? And we can see through our acts time and time again of God moving with power, Him equipping the disciples with boldness to go and preach, and then Him knitting situations together. Church, I think some of the reason why we're not seeing more people come to church or being introduced is because we're not listening as well as we should. And if you think it's just for the people who, have, who are anointed with the big E of evangelism in their life, yeah, they're called to do it. But we're called to do it too. And we've got to know that it's God who opens hearts. So maybe as the band play and just slowly play, what I'd like us to do is just close our eyes. Maybe if we can stand together just to, to, to refresh us a little bit, if you can stand, just close your eyes and open your hands. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you today. Holy Spirit, you have put us in a nation, in a workplace, in a family, in a city that needs you. Lord, we know there is opposition to the gospel, but we know that where there is opportuni- op- opposition, there is also opportunity for the gospel. Lord God, it is your heart that wants to reach every man, woman, and child with the message of Jesus Christ and for them to come to a saving faith. So Lord God, we just put out our arms here this morning. We open our hands in the spirit of receiving and say, would you equip us with that boldness that you sent? As Holy Spirit, we were waiting for you before the message as we just, we just dwell in worship for a bit. We, we, we cry out, Lord God, we need your Holy Spirit to reach Nanaimo. Lord God, we need your Holy Spirit message to come out. Lord, we pray for those angels to come. We pray for those visions to happen, Lord God. But Lord God, I pray that each one of us, when we raise our heads off the pillow in the morning, that you would be the first voice in our heads saying, this is what I want to do today. Lord, I pray that we would run to you before we run to our calendar, before we run to our to-do list and say, Lord God, what do you want to do today? What do you need to do today, Lord God? Lord, we pray for those who are hungering and thirsting. We cry out and we know that our city is thirsty. We know that our city knows that there is a broken world around them. But Lord God, we pray that you would reveal your son to them through us, Lord God, through the hope that we have, through the testimony that we have, Lord God. Lord, equip us and send us out. Lord God, I just pray for us, for each one of us, myself, the people listening at home, Lord God, as they hear this message, would you just speak a name to us? Would you speak a vision to us, Lord God? What happened in in Bible times isn't locked away for Bible times. We are still in the Bible times. We are still in the season of you moving and saving. And if we went around the room here this morning to hear the testimony of how you won hearts, we would be blown over, Lord God. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning that you would equip them. Equip them, Lord God. Remind us why we're here. Remind us of those relationships, our best friends who don't know you, that we don't bring these things up because that's not what our friendship is about. Lord God, I pray that you would start to show the living hope that was in us to them, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you have won us. Thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. May we not stay silent, Lord.